Working drummer. Now kick it. This is the Working Drummer Podcast, serving up perspectives, experiences, and stories from ground-level working pros. Advice, tips, and secrets on how to build a career in the music business. Hey everybody, this is Matthew Krause, and you are listening to the podcast Working Drummer. Today my guest is drummer Jake Gammon. Originally from Lexington, Kentucky, Jake moved to Nashville in 2009. Whether it's on the road with legendary Nashville-based singer-songwriter Phil Vassar, or more contemporary artists like Chase Bryant, or even working with one of the many top-tier singers or bands like the Matt Gray Band or Brandon Holder on Lower Broadway in Nashville, Jake's confidence and passion for drumming has been the key and driving force behind his ability to keep a full-time schedule as a drummer. Just a reminder, if you're compelled to support what we do here at Working Drummer Podcast, there are a couple different ways that you can donate. We have a Patreon page, patreon.com slash workingdrummer, where you can do a monthly donation at many different levels with many different prizes and incentives involved with that. We also have a PayPal button that we've put on the website, so if that is of interest, that might be an easy route for you. Anything and any amount is really helpful to the three of us keeping this thing rocking. We also have t-shirts available, and we've just designed that to be really simple. Just reach out to us through the contact page. To find out more about this episode and all the episodes that we've done over the last three years, you can find us at workingdrummer.net. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, and while you're there, leave a rating and review. It really helps us grow. Here's my conversation with Jake Gammon. As we sit here today in July 2018, uh, I've been with I've been working with Phil Vassar for about three or four months since April, and uh, that's been a lot of fun. Just because I'm not shy about my uh, taste in country music, <laughs> and and he and uh, he was very popular in that time I'm a big I'm such a fan of and uh, it's cool uh, there's no there's no set list so when I was preparing for the gig I had basically had to come in and know about 35 or 40 of his songs and then about 35 or 40 cover songs which the cover songs were no problem because you know we play them all the time downtown it was no big deal but just kind of knowing their arrangements of them but uh but yeah, every night we don't have a set list. It's just uh, Phil has a song list taped on top of his piano. And literally he'll just walk out on stage and you'll look at the crowd and be like, all right, see so y'all, what do y'all want to hear? And people will just holler out, yeah. you know, by Amazing Grace or just some song. And now we do have a flow. Like I've noticed a pattern. Like we will, we'll often open with the same, with, we have a couple songs. We'll rotate in and out as the opener. And then I'm All Right is usually the last song. But like any, anywhere in between there, it's a free for all. Like we'll do, pretty much anything and I'm actually I was just talking to our band later about getting like a second wave of songs because I feel like he's I can I can feel I can tell that Phil is wanting to bring some other like deep cut stuff out so I'm like why don't you just send me some more songs and we'll that way I can because I don't I don't want to be I don't want some fans to be oh I want to hear this song and then he's ready to play it and then I don't you know are you like the new newish guy? So it's me. There's me, and then there's a, we have a, a lady named Patty playing uh, keys and saxophone with us, okay. which is kind of been cool. It's the first time I've been in a band with a sax player. Uh, 
so we're both kind of new, but uh, but I see I knew those those guys from way back. My ex girlfriend is a singer, and that's how we met. I was in her band, and she was on APA, who also books Phil. And so we did a bunch of shows with Phil. This is probably five or six years ago. And I kind of got to know those guys a little bit there. And then whenever their drummer left this year, they actually to hear Jeff Smith tell it, he was scrolling through Facebook one night and one of Lindsay's posts went by and he was like, oh, I wonder what Jake Gammon's doing. And uh, he called me and I was like, hell yeah, man, I'd love to play. Yeah. I'd love to play some grown folks music for once. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> And uh, so here we are. Yeah, we're doing that. And then, uh, you know, it's my regular. When I'm not on the road, I play on Broadway about four or five days. Yeah, <laughs> four or five days a week, six to seven gigs a week, uh, which is what a blessing, man. Like I get to I get to go on the road and then I have now now two bands that I that kind of let me come and go as I please downtown so it's it's nice to have some regular and it's just cool to have you know i've lived in an apartment i've been here since 2009 almost uh, next month will be august will be nine years and i've lived in an apartment the whole time so i don't have a place to practice so my practice is on is on the gig (laughs) so it's nice to you know come downtown and we play the guys that i play with we're comfortable enough with each other that if we have if we have a lick we need to get out (laughs) You know, or some frustration we need to relieve on stage. We can do that, and you know, if we nail it, great. If we don't, we laugh it off and and move on. You know, what's the setup like? I mean, are you running a click with this with the set list being? No, it's live. Yeah, it's rock and roll, baby. Yeah, one hundred percent. There's a couple songs we have a tracks rig. I'm st- I'm actually still try- <laughs> I'm still trying to figure out. There's no like. Uh, count offs on it or anything like some like some people have and we actually just started using it again this past weekend and I'm still trying to figure out like what the arrangements of the, of the tracks are so like I haven't really used it that much but 99% of the show is just no click just Phil st- so Phil will start it he usually starts just about everything unless like there's a couple songs like he has a song on his latest album American Soul Summer Deluxe Edition, uh, called "I Wish You Were Beer" that he wrote with John Rich, and that that's this like, I think that's the only song that comes to mind that I that I count off, yeah. and we all come in together. But I think every, pretty much everything else is Phil on the piano doing his thing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, no click. It's just rock and roll, which is nice. I do miss. You know, I heard Kevin Murphy put it one time on another podcast that, like, the click is there to, so you can just, you can just relax and have a party. You know, it keeps you, it keeps you in line. It's not, you know, I'm not, I'm not listening to the click. It's just there. I can tell when it's off, you know, but it'd be nice to just be able to kick back and, you know, but it's all, it's also nice to just get up there and just rock and, you know, play like a real band, you know. I've been able to hang on the Vassar gig, if you will, because I'm so used to not... I mean, we never used to set lists downtown with the guys I play with. You know, it's just, you know, like... Usually with the Matt Gray band, you can count on the first four songs mm-hmm. being exactly the same. At the stage, when we play at the stage, you can, it's a long train running. 
Okay. Won't back down. <laughs> Something else and Born to be Wild. You know, but uh, yeah. it just to check the vocal mics and then it's free for all. You know, and then with Brandon Holder, it's even, we'll, it's usually never the same. We start with, unless it's a late shift on the weekend, then we'll, uh-huh. you know, we ran it in a little bit there. But, uh, but no, that's definitely, and it's also, it's also kind of hard to like, you know, I get people will call me to play down there and I mean, if I'm unavailable, they'll be like, well, can you recommend some guys? And it's also hard. There's a, there's kind of a limited number of people that I'd be com- comfortable recommending, not because they're not, they don't have the skills. Yeah. They're not skilled enough on the instrument. It's that it's the keeping up with the pace of it all. You know what I mean? Like, just like you said, mm-hmm. you kind of, I mean, it's, I mean, you got to keep it moving right. and, you gotta, you just kind of gotta know music, <laughs> you know the song, you know, yeah. know how to keep that pace moving because it's not you can't be like you can't. Oh, what's the tempo for this? Like, what's the blah blah blah? You know, you, you gotta just kick it <laughs> and, yeah. and roll, you know. Yeah, and keep the you gotta keep a crowd engaged because I mean people are, and there's so many places down there now. People are moving in and out mm-hmm. nonstop. It's hard to it's been it's getting harder and harder to keep people engaged and yeah and hip to what, what's happening you know yeah and or and, and keep up with them because they're wanting to hear stuff and um well for somebody that wants to get into playing down there mm-hmm. say they're like I, I i'm getting ready to move to nashville and i've got friends that work down there and that seems like a good place for me to mm-hmm. meet people um cultivate some sort of you know work absolutely steady work what are some of the things that you would say this is what you should be prepared for mm-hmm. or this is what you can't prepare for? Right. <laughs> I mean, we're dealing with a much younger... I mean, I started playing on Broadway when I was 19 years old. Mm-hmm. And wow. most people down there were way older than me then. But now there's a lot, I think there's a lot of young cats down there now. Yeah, there is. And I feel like there's a wave of people moving to Nashville that don't know country music at all. <laughs> which which is a mystery to me. I don't uh Yeah. I mean, there's not only country music here. It's just music city. It's not country yeah, right. music city, but yeah. still it, it we wouldn't be music city if it weren't for Exactly. country music. Sure. And I feel like you know before you come down there, do a little bit of your homework. You know, what I mean, no. There's a there's a. I was having this conversation with someone the other day. Like, there's a generation of people who have no idea who Lonnie Wilson is mm. or Eddie Bears, mm-hmm. and it's it. It offends me, Matt. <laughs> Let's just be straight up with you. It yeah. bothers me. Right, right. Uh, you know, one because those guys, two, both of those guys in particular, and Paul Lyme. And several other Nashville guys are happen to be my some of my biggest influences, you know. Those guys, I mean, uh, now I I'm in the other camp, you know. Like I grew up on classic rock and jazz, and 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 then moved down here because I had friends down here because there was music business happening. Right. Yeah. And so I, I so that's one of the reasons why I was excited to talk to you because. You you're coming from a completely different space than I came from, right? Well, and I was I mean I would was I was raised on a classic rock too. So I, mm-hmm, that's mm-hmm. I think classic rock was like it was like my 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 parents' 
the cassette era, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, but you know, they had they had stopped listening to modern rock and started listening to country when I was a ki- when I was a kid. And okay. so that's because country music was just kind of around. I mean, and I liked it. I liked when it was on when they'd have the radio on, but that didn't really. When I was a kid, I listened to the ra- what was on the radio. I listened to it. wasn't just happening in the background. So that mm-hmm. kind of came in handy when I started playing country on Broadway. Was it's, I mean, not muscle memory because I had never played it, but yeah. just kind of knowing. Hey, let's do Chattahoochee, and I'm like, all right, cool. Yeah, I I knew that. You know, I remembered that. But all that to say, like, look, find out who these cats are. Yeah, and get in, get into it. You know what I mean? Like, if you have a Spotify, check out the playlist. Go the Golden Age of Nashville <laughs> that, that okay. I that I made. It's it started out just as I was tired of listening to radio to commercials on the radio, and mm-hmm. <laughs> so I made this playlist, and it's and it's kind of turned into. I'm very passionate about. it. I think Rich Redmond's actually used it at some of his clinics now yeah. with some people um and it's all about then talking about the same thing we're talking about like listen you know find out who these cats are paul lime lonnie wilson and listen to their playing and play songs right (laughs) for god's sakes Mm -hmm. (laughs) i this i'm passionate about this sorry uh you know and i don't expect you to play every fill exactly like it is in the album but like learn the key parts yeah, it's a song. When, in my opinion, signature parts to songs. Like for a prime example, and this is not country, but don't stop believing. Mm-hmm. Learn the ride symbol bell part. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know what I mean. It's not that I'm. This sounds like it's too much to ask, but <laughs> if anything, there's uh, an opportunity to 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 do some really cool stuff. Exactly. That's it, this is some good. You know, and people think, and I feel like there's a lot of people who think country music is just e- oh, it's easy to play. Yeah, dude, some of the Eddie Bears. Like that Alan Jackson, like one of the songs that comes to mind is Summertime Blues. It's got this nice, it's like, is it a train beat? Is it a, is it a, is it that or is it, is it a country, mm-hmm. is it a shuffle? You don't know because yeah. he's, he's kind of doing some grace notes on the, on his, it's his right hand, but the snare drum hand. Yeah. And then he's got this hi-hat thing that's just like intermittent going on and it, trying to play that mm-hmm. is incredibly difficult. And make it feel good. Yeah. You know, like this, there's an art to this country music thing. There is. You know? and, and it's interesting when you play like an Alan Jackson song that you know it was probably Eddie on the track. Absolutely, yeah. Nine times out of ten, yeah. There's times that I'll play a train beat that I know Eddie was on and I'll lighten up my, like almost the train becomes like a ghost note. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he plays really light the in between or he's mm-hmm. really good at controlling controlling the volume of his hi hats. Oh, absolutely. Just as a from just a studio mm-hmm. perspective. And and that was like a lesson in there where sometimes it's hard to know it's like it feels right. Oh, absolutely. And you know so much of that that era was acoustic guitar driven. Mm-hmm. And if you know if you listen, if you pay attention on a lot of those tracks it would either it would either be the hi hat or the acoustic guitar, in the, okay. in, most, mainly in the verses of okay. these songs, like when it's you know down and there's a lot of space dynamically, yeah, because they're kind of in that same frequency range. So you listen and you're like, man, is he playing? He's not playing the hi hat, mm-hmm. but it still feels so good because and he's letting 
the acoustic player yeah. handled the the timekeeping yeah. really of the song right. in the in that section. Recording used to be such an art. (laughs) (laughs) There's a symbiotic relationship that we've talked about many times on this podcast about the acoustic player and Uh the drummer, especially when you decide what you're going to be playing Mm hi-hat-wise when the acoustic player is playing. Because that frequency and, and figuring that... I had an epiphany working with one of Nashville's finest acoustic players. And when we were laying stuff down, I thought, oh my gosh, take everything out of my mix but that acoustic oh, player. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he's making me sound better than I am. Absolutely. That's another thing about that I think playing in on Broadway or playing with cover bands is learning how to li- you know, listen to the rest of the band. You're not just playing your instrument there. You're, mm-hmm. the The band is an instrument. You know what I mean? You've got to mm-hmm. pay attention to what's going on. And I, like, it's like the acoustic thing. I've had to think about with Phil, you know, the piano. Mm-hmm. The piano is a percussion instrument, mm-hmm. especially when Phil plays it because uh, <laughs> he's particularly heavy-handed. Yeah. But, you know, I've had to watch what I'm doing mm. on, I mean, everything, but like really the right, the, the hi-hat because mm-hmm. he'll, he may be doing something with his right hand, you know, far up the piano. Mm-hmm. And I've got, hey, I've got to cool it with <laughs> with my, you know, whatever hi-hat thing I'm doing, you know. Yeah. Um, play to the band. you gotta pl- you got to right. learn how to – that's an invaluable education mm. to me. It's been from playing on Broadway. It's just learning how to play with a variety of players. and Yes. But learn how to listen to what everyone else is doing. And that's why I think it's important to – you know, you can run in most of these places down there now. You can run in in ears in, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and yeah, I know. Yeah, it's a bar gig. I mean, people say, but like, I don't look. I hate when people say that. Like, it's why is this gig any less deserving of my best? Well, uh, uh, let's just hang on that for a second because Broadway has gone through ups and downs and a history for sure. Where there's great drummers that we know that be like. I'm not playing down there. I'm not going to play four hours for twenty five bucks. And there's and and there's there's this almost um, attitude. I'm, obviously, I'm Absolutely. not afraid to, to to work down there. Of course, I, that's, I I came down here to work. Yeah, you know, it's. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what I came here to do. I came down here to to sit on my ass all week long and then go out on the road and play twenty minutes. Yeah, on the opening slot, which I've done. Yeah, and it's. You know, yeah, it's cool to play those big venues on a big tour, but like, it's only twenty minutes. It's like I didn't, I yeah. want to do more. You're just getting warmed up. You know what I mean? That's what, yeah. I don't mind the. I love the four hour gig thing. <laughs> it's yeah. it's. I have no problem with the physical stamina of it. It's right. You know, that doesn't bother me. It's right. it's an opportunity to play my instrument yeah. and make a little money. That's another thing. Is people think, oh, it's not. I'm worth more than that. Broadway is a legitimate way to make a living now. <laughs> Like there's guys, yeah. absolutely. Like there's guys making, there's guys that own homes <laughs> that have bought homes for money they make down there. It's mm-hmm. not like you're not. Now I'm sure there's still there's still places probably paying a low base pay, but like if you if you have the right gigs, you can make really good money. It's why that's why it's so hard to go on the road to it, justify going on the road these days. That's true. That's it's true. It's it's, uh, it's it's almost the tables have completely turned, 
And yeah. I've had people uh, that, that they're saying, well, tell me more about this. And mm-hmm. I, I think everybody ought to try it once. You know what I mean? But if you don't like it, and I tell people all this time, all the time, if you don't want to do the gig, don't do the, yeah. <laughs> don't come do the gig, and have a shit attitude, and ru- don't come down here and ruin it for the people who are pumped to be here, yeah. like me, yeah. and and so many others, or, or because there's a lot of people who would be glad for the, to, for the work, and thankful to be here, you know what I mean, and would probably do, <laughs> just you know. Come in with a better attitude and you come in playing better because you're excited to be here, you know. We often have local bands or whatever, regional bands as the opening act. Yeah. yeah. And it's it's sometimes it's you know, they might not be the best band, but it's refreshing to just see the fire yes. of people who you know, they probably most of them have probably have day jobs. And they're just excited to be playing in front of a crowd. And that's what you kind of, it's, it's really, it's, it's hard to, I mean, everyone who does this knows it's hard to carry that with you for years of, you know, and I still, I still enjoy playing my instrument. I, just, I don't want it to sound like, oh, I'm just not, <laughs> I hate this, <laughs> you know. Uh, but it's just, you just have to think, you just think about it differently now. You're, it's your job, you know what I mean? You have to make ends meet. And sometimes that means playing gigs, you're not excited to play. You know, but you still have to come into there and you still have to remember that someone's paying you to be here. And so you've got to come in, regardless of whether you want to be there or not, you've got to come in and at least act like you want to be there, you know, and, and make them try to keep a smile on everybody's face. And, and that's when you're, when you're playing the music and when you're not, it's on and off stage. You know, that's, you know, so many people who tour, do the touring thing will say, you know, the the show is only 90 minutes of the, the other 22 and a half hours of the day. Right. You've got to be up in, you know, closer than we are now from the cross this table, you know, uh, in close quarters. And, you know, it's, it's hard, you know, I've worked seven days in a row, mm-hmm. several, you know, a lot for a lot of my life. And it's, you know, I don't have a smile on my face and nonstop, but like, it's, you just kind of have to figure out a way to keep yourself into it, you know what I mean, and mm-hmm. not get, mm-hmm. you know. And I've been burned out, you know, many times. But yeah. it's, you know, but and I'm lucky to play with. I have to remember that I'm, I'm kind of spoiled mm-hmm. down there. I get to play with people who are, you know, very close. My some of my best friends and are good players. We all have. Most of the guys I play with also have road gigs, so we're all coming back. You know, we go do our thing on the road. That's our day job, and then we come. Mm-hmm. You know, Broadway has is no longer our primary source of income, mm-hmm. so we do get to come. It is, I mean, granted, we're still working, but I'd like to think that most people, when they see this, they don't think, "Oh man, those guys are just hating life right now up there." Yeah. Cause, I mean, I feel like most of the time we're we're playing, but we're interacting on stage. We're not just standing there, yeah, like statues. You know, just reading. I take what he said with a grain of salt. I know that I'm guilty of it. I've been there. I've absolutely. I've, I've just completely stacked my schedule. Uh, it, when I was, especially when I was making a transition off the road, I was, mm-hmm. I was saying, I was, I was saying yes to everything. Oh, you, 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 well, you can't afford you because you can't afford to say no, no. or you, or you, if you, you're afraid to say no, yeah. you. It, good point because there's, there's at certain points there's like I can't afford to say no, but I'm afraid to say no because mm-hmm. in a place like this and there are different scenarios around the country and around the world where if you say no they go to the next great player. 
Right. It's, it's not like there's just another drummer out there. There's another drummer that can do a great job. Right. You know. Yeah, I was just having this actually, ironically, last night, actually, I was having mm-hmm. this, this almost this exact same conversation with a, a bass player friend of mine that I play with multiple times weekly. And he was saying, we were hanging out at Red Door last night, and he was saying, yeah, I got called to do a 10 to 2 tonight, and I, I turned it down, but I, I know I've, I know I should have taken the work. And I'm like, dude, it's you've been working your ass. I've seen him. He's been working his ass off. I'm like, dude, you deserve mm-hmm. to have a night off, man. You don't, it's, mm-hmm. and that's, I think that's what I was trying to allude to earlier was like, I've been kicking it for so long. I'm just now, at, after doing this, I mean, almost 10 years, understanding, you know what? It's okay to say no. <laughs> Yeah. To say no every now and then and yeah. take a night off and recharge, right? Because right. I mean, it's you know I don't I don't have a problem with the four hour gig doesn't bother me physically, mm-hmm. but I mean you do that, especially the late shift, you know, to play until two thirty a.m. Yeah, five six nights in a row. I mean that's just <sighs> yeah, that's when it does start taking the toll physically. <clears throat> if you're struggling with addiction, or- oh my god, and that's not that's not just you know if you're in a particular you know. A valley in your personal life. It, you know, there's that's just there's so many factor outside factors that can yeah yeah you know and then working yourself to the bone can exacerbate those problems too. Yeah, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, no doubt. Because because the the composition of the brain changes when you get tired in different times of the day. So sometimes uh, we're more you know likely to to pick make bad choices absolutely with with food and alcohol oh, and all absolutely. those things when you're tired it's like somebody says uh, 11 o'clock in the morning hey man you want a beer no i'm, I'm yeah I, wanna, I don't want a beer like 11 o'clock at night hey you want a beer uh, yes yeah right <laughs> why is that and That's, i think there's just a natural tendency when you're surrounded by that if if it, for me it's this combination and it's, it's a constant struggle when you're when you're combating the caffeine side of it and then the uppers and basically uppers and yeah it's not it's nonstop. <laughs> yeah you know you've got to take care of yourself yeah out here doing this it's and and i, I mean that physically and mentally mm-hmm. spiritually you've got to figure out how to make room we're surrounded by people who are just work 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 all the time that's all we focus on and i say that we because i'm one of them the royal we and it's <laughs> You've got to make room for the people in your life and yeah, and yeah. relationships. Mm-hmm. Having a romantic relationship is difficult, you know, without being a musician. <laughs> but, <laughs> but you know, it's this, that, it makes that hard. And then also just, like, I've been trying to reconnect with people that I haven't seen in a long time just to, you know, get together and, you know, shoot the shit. You know what I mean? Like, it's right, right. this... You fall out of touch with people just because you're so well, you know. No, I got I got to take this gig, and oh, I, yes, I'll do this gig. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you just got to step back and go, mm-hmm. and just chill. You know what I mean? And and regroup. And you know, this is a very relationship oriented business. You know, you got to. Yeah. And I don't mean that's don't nurture those relationships just for your business. You know, also you got to have friends. You know what I mean? No, you have to so that when you're and, when you're having a rough week or when you're having a rough gig, you're you got to have people to lean on because. Right. There's something deeper. There's a deeper connection that you have with the people around you and your life in general. So Absolutely. that when the shit hits the fan, flight delays, uh, crappy sound, mm-hmm. you're like, you know what? This sucks right now, but uh, but life's still pretty good. Absolutely. Well, and also to be there for, for be there, to be there for them also. 
Because yes. you know, there'll be a time where one of your one of your people mm-hmm. will be in the same position you're in, and will leave you. You know what I mean? So my dad was a bass player, uh, and I remember music always being on in the house, and I would every now and then that he'd be playing somewhere where I could come mm-hmm. as a, as a wee lad and uh and see him and see his band and i don't really remember being like a track uh, you know specifically attracted to the drums yeah then as you know as a toddler but but everybody in my family has always they're big lovers of music you know what i mean so even though they weren't musicians music was just always in the house i mean my grandmother i just remember you know motown mm-hmm. and i remember her i remember her picking me up and we'd ride they lived about 30 minutes away from where my parents lived and like i remember specifically remember i was an otis redding fan at like four years old i loved tramp tramp was my was my shit (laughs) the song Uh, so i just kind of always been around music with them and then uh my dad stopped he stopped playing in about 1999 i think and i guess i somehow i had expressed interest in drums at this point and i remember where there was a music store in lexington kentucky where i'm from before guitar center came and ran everybody out uh, called Carl's Music. Actually, Kent Slusher, yeah, who's been on the podcast, I believe, and plays for Luke Bryan. He was the drum guy there. Yeah, and uh, you know, my dad would go over and he'd have to buy something or whatever. And I guess I was always just hanging around the drums and tapping around on them, everything. And uh, and then so when I was ten, I think ten or eleven years old, they bought me a Roland V drum kit. Uh-huh. I just took to it. I just started playing along to the Eagles. That was like the first thing I put on and just play along it's something you know easy yeah, that a kid could you know hey figure man, out take it easy exactly it literally, literally it was, take it yes it was literally taking it uh, <laughs> and uh i just put it on and this i actually worked at guitar center for a brief time and i always to, would tell parents that would come in and wanting to we won't hold that against you yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah don't tell anybody uh the i would tell parents if you're wanting to buy if your kid's interested in playing drums check out these electronic kits because now i know it's they're gonna have to adjust later on to play in a real drum kit yeah but they'll be able to one they won't they're not gonna drive you insane yeah playing loud at all hours of the night but they'll be able to plug their at the time well when i was when i was a kid it was it was a sony kaboom box whatever (laughs) now now it's i've whatever spotify i had cds but uh they can plug their ipod in and play along to whatever and they can also relax and didn't know that no one's listening to me oh, they can kind of they can kind of practice in confidence mm-hmm. you know what i mean sure uh but anyway they, they got me the drum kit and i just i mean it was just my hands have never been soft since <laughs> that was good i've just got yeah. calloused immediately yeah uh but i mean that was when i this all class you mentioned classic rock earlier that was what it was you know right the eagles uh peter frampton that's actually so i definitely want to touch on this I do too. Uh, I know where you're going. Chad Cromwell. Chad Cromwell. <laughs> if you don't know who Chad Cromwell is, just pause this right now and look. <laughs> and look well, look we're him we're up. not going anywhere. Yeah, yeah, we're there. We'll be here when you get back. The, uh, there's, I think I can't remember. I think I had the CD of it first, but there's a live album. Everybody, everybody knows Peter Frampton comes alive, but there's a another live album called Live in Detroit. Mm-hmm. That was recorded in like the late '90s, and I just picked up. This is back when you still went to music stores and browsed and mm-hmm. just picked up 
CD <laughs> and picked up CDs. And I remember I got that, and I just remember we I putting it on, and just the first song is a song called Lion. And it just kicks off with this just like single snare drum hit. And I was hooked from that, I mean, from that hit. Just the way, like the way he hit it, and it just sounded like he was just, I mean, hitting the hell out of the drum, you know what I mean? Yeah. And then they just kicked into this groove, just like this four on the floor. And that was like, man, this is mm-hmm. this is happening right here. Mm-hmm. And then I remember at the end of it, he and he introduces the band, and is on the drums, Chad Cromwell. And I didn't mean I didn't know what he looked like at the time. This is before everyone was readily available on the internet. Exactly. And I just tried to find everything I could that had him on it, you know. Mm-hmm. And then I knew that he was. I found that he was a Nashville guy. Mm-hmm. And fast forward a few years, my dad took me to see Frampton when it was still Cromwell and Bob Mayo and was in the band. And it was still the same band that was on the live album. Okay. And we took it to me to Dayton. Do you remember what year uh, this was? On the- 2003, I think. Okay. When I saw Frampton. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's actually kind of a funny story. My dad had bought a bass amp on eBay from... Frampton's old guitar tech and he just kind of in conversation had told him that I was a big fan and so he got us backstage passes for this show so the meet and greet was and I just which looking back now it's funny I didn't care anything about meeting Peter Frampton I, right. just, I just wanted to meet Chad <laughs> Cromwell and uh, but anyway we lined up to do the meet and greet after the show and they were like red passes only and we had blue passes or some, or some other color and I, and I was devastated yeah, and my dad, my my dad's best friend from high school was with him, Brian Heiss, and like they were livid because like they knew how excited I was, you know, to yeah, right. to get back there and meet him. Well, we walked around to the back. This is if anyone's ever been to the Phrase Pavilion in Dayton, Ohio. It's an, yeah. it's a nice, it's a small amphitheater. It's you know, there's no uh, covered seating, but it's just kind of in the middle of this like residential neighborhood area, mm-hmm. and so we were able to get out on the street and we walked around to the street where the buses were parked on and actually Joe Bon, a young Joe Bonamassa was the opening act and they they were standing outside they talked to us for a minute they were super cool and then my dad just happened to look down and Chad stepped off the bus to smoke a cigarette mm-hmm. and just I have a knee jerk reaction my dad just hollered out hey Chad and dude Chad Cromwell <laughs> came like moved the barricade yeah. and came out and just chatted this 12 year old kid up for like 45 minutes yeah and was just so kind and yeah. gave me his email address you know and uh which is real encouraging talked to me about you know asked me what kind of gear i was playing just all the you know the regular stuff and was just real encouraging i was just like yeah man you should move if you're really serious about this you should think about moving to nashville or la you know, one of the music yeah. centers you know mm-hmm. and that was pretty much it from there i was like this is what i'm this is what I'm not, not this is what I want to do. This is what I'm going to do. Yeah. And I was, and I'm very blessed to have known. I don't expect everyone to know what they want to do with their life at 12 or 13 years old, but I was very fortunate to know, like, this is what I want to do. This is where I want to do it. Mm-hmm. You know, and it was pretty much full bore from that point. Mm-hmm. I just started playing every gig I could. Right. Get called for, you know, and I grew so I grew up, my dad worked at the time, he worked for a large mega church in Lexington, and I got to play with adults 
<laughs> there. Uh, Mike Vandermark, he was the director of music, whatever there, and he took a chance on me. Asked, you know, as I was thirteen or whatever, and he asked if I wanted to play in a big church, as I called it back then, with the in the main service, and it was like the auditorium was like thirty five hundred seat, you wow. know. And so that was just I was just excited to play in front of people, you know. And I really think if it hadn't been for the seat time I got there, I mean, I might not be here today. I mean, I was so farther along than, you know, I moved here when I was 18. Mm. Than other 18-year-olds, maybe, just playing just playing with a band, you know what I mean? Yeah. And that was, and this is kind of, this is contemporary Christian music at the time. This is like the forefront of the Ableton movement. Mm -hmm. And so I really got... You know, just kind of jumped in head first, playing with a click, mm. and playing to bloops and tracks. Really, at an early age, from playing in church. I think that's more common these days. Yeah, I, mean, I, th I think well, it, I, I think I think it is. I think that. it's. I think that that technology is kind of unavoidable at this point. I think it's. Yeah. Uh, everybody's using something like that, right? You know. Uh, but no, yeah, it was there. I mean, really, it was there playing, with, and that's another thing playing with in church you're playing with different musicians every week see that mm -hmm. teaches you a lot about how to adapt to some other some, to somebody else's playing style and also be able to you know if you're playing with somebody who might be less experienced or less skilled if you will you gotta figure out how to make them you gotta put if they're not on your level you gotta reach and pull them up don't lower yourself you gotta reach and pull them up right and you don't know? ignore them either absolutely you, yeah do everything you can just Travis McNabb said it on this podcast I believe and if you've not listened to his episode go back it's awesome but if you take nothing away from that episode he says verbatim I believe just make the band sound good yeah Travis <laughs> oh, I, had to, I had to give him two episodes actually yeah that's, that's it's, it's, I'll tell you what man these guys they're the sea of information absolutely him and I think Ben Caesar is another two-parter that's, that's true that's true but it, just do everything I think it's our main goal, or I think it's our job as musicians. The most important thing is just to make the band sound good, make the artists sound good. But didn't Dave Grohl well, probably quoted from so many other people who said uh, a bad drummer will make a good band sound bad, a great drummer will will make a bad band sound good. Absolutely. Yeah. Bass players too. I, th mm. <laughs> I think that can that's the icing on the cake. Indeed, uh, but. Uh, but yeah, just, you know. So I, I, I don't know what year it was, but Savannah Jack was in Copper Mountain opening for Peter Frampton mm -hmm. and Cromwell was on. It was the first time I had a chance to meet him. Yeah. And the, and the year and a half prior to that, I was touring with um, Mark Selby, mm -hmm. a songwriter. And Chad was on his last record and he was touring on that record. So it was my introduction to Chad through having to learn that record for oh, yeah. tour. Mm -hmm. And I was just, I was smitten by how different he sounded from a lot of the other Nashville studio drummers that I also admired, but his bright snare sound. Absolutely. And, That's another thing. You can tell it's him from yes. the, like from the first, it's how he hits the snare drum. It's just a, in his drum, thing. and you know, we and we talked about that. I said, "Tell me about that. What's that snare sound?" And of course, it's this refurbished nineteen twenty something. The Ludwig. The Ludwig. Yeah, yeah. Ludwig. Uh -huh. Anyways, I, and I, I think I can't tell on the video, but I'm pretty sure. And I haven't asked him this. I've met him a handful yeah. of times since that yeah. first meeting. But yeah, 
I'm pretty sure that's the snare drum that's on the the live in Detroit. Yeah, it's oh, good. He God, was, it's so good. He was super kind uh, and and open about sharing information and and just everything. Uh, he was super kind uh, for uh, taking some time for the podcast as well. Mm-hmm. So what I'm I'm telling listeners is if 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 Nashville is a place that you want to be, I, I can tell you there are f- phenomenal players. Uh, legendary players and young players that just will donate their time and, mm-hmm. and share information like like don't be afraid to yeah man so i mean you know obviously you might get a, a read from somebody if it's, they're of having course. a bad day or, or whatever but i can tell you there's my experience and it sounds like yours as well has been mostly positive yeah man i'm i'm it's very amazing. hashtag blessed uh <laughs> to it's been what a ride. Let's take the train beat, for instance. Mm-hmm. You got you to look up Eddie Bayers. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think he's got the best train beat of all time. I, some people could say he's the best country drummer of all time. But, you know, but there's just so much to learn from these guys. Like, she, like she said to Shannon Forrest, I mean, that, he's playing with Toto. Yeah. Like, that's... <laughs> They don't just call whoever, <laughs> you know, you've got to be a, we're talking about Jeff Picaro here, yep, you know. Exactly. But you should hear. Check him out. And that's another part. Shannon Forrest was doing, I didn't even know, I didn't realize how young he is. Like, he was doing master sessions in his teens. Mm-hmm. Like, it's crazy. Yeah. You know. Um, And he has a sick train beat. He does. I, that's, and that's the thing, is all these guys, I just said Eddie Bayers has a great train yeah. beat. All of these guys have the you can almost kind of tell who it is. Like they, they have these cats have so much personality. And they're Paul Lime. Yep. I can tell immediately when it's him from the like that kind of straight sh- uh, country shuffle four on the floor thing. Mm-hmm. Lonnie Wilson. <laughs> what the, they got that just that fat back, big back beat. The crash, you know, crash on four. That's what everybody, crash <laughs> everybody the says. I did that. But it, yeah. Um, you know that's a dead giveaway, but like it, it's just and look at that, and he's he's still as relevant as ever. He's playing on, I mean, like you know Dustin, Lim, he's playing on these the top country stars of today. He's still mm-hmm. at the top of the game, yeah, on the session, yeah, session game side of things. Um, I'm rambling, but no, I mean, I just find out, you know, look up. Like I said, the Golden Age of Nashville, <laughs> the playlist. Listen to some of those songs and just, you know, find the artist, find the album. Look up these albums and see who the players are. Not even just drummers. Like, listen to everybody. This We've got such a – everyone in this – there's so many guys. They're just so musical. Yeah. They. This is really a – everything they do is to serve the song. And I know – and everyone's – everyone has probably said that on here, but – we, it's because you can't stress that enough. You know what I mean? These guys, everything they do is for, you know, is for that vocal. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That, you know, stay out of the way of the vocal and knowing how to, when to hit a crash cymbal and when to, mm-hmm. you know, and when to, when to play the hi-hat, like we said earlier. Like, mm-hmm. it's just a, there's really too much to learn to, to put onto one. We could have a whole other podcast right, on, right, right, exactly. on this, you know, it, um, so do you feel like for you listening and just diving into 
the history and understanding those things is a is been a big part of your development absolutely good god i mean i which i just love listening to music i love to sit i collect vinyl yeah and i just moved to downtown to a, a very small apartment and i can't i haven't even had the stereo turned on really <laughs> so since i've been there which is kind of a bummer but i've i still like to just i turn the phone off or on vibrate whatever and just sit and Put on a record that you like and just listen. Try to find something you haven't heard. You're always going to find, you're never going to stop hearing things you've never heard before. Right. You know what I mean? And that's. And the music just, hasn't changed, but your ears right, change. Right. But your, your ears change and you hear other things. And it's like, you may hear, you know, we, there's so many different ways to listen. You know, we all have our in ear monitors yeah. that are, you know, that's a, arguably the highest quality we're going to hear probably here but like you may plug in a pair of ipod headphones and hear some and still p- pick out something oh i've never heard that part before right. or this you know mm-hmm. color you know in the yeah. in the background uh no man just just listen if you have the radio on listen to what's coming out of it shout out to billy joe freeman i, I told him i would yeah. i would say his name on the podcast I, I, if I, or I, actually, I think I told him that I would say if, like at the end of this, when you do the, so how can people find you? I say oh, you can find me on Instagram at at Billy Joe Freeman. <laughs> Direct everyone over there to his page. Right, right. Well, I mean, here's here's somebody with incredible facility that creates these drum solos that oh my god, dude, are entertaining for drummers and the people. He is such a monster, dude. So much facility on the instrument and all, and then can what if just that fat back right. groove? I mean, sexy. Uh, but but what so like where where do you guys where do you start like if 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 you want to try and have that in the toolbox that's you know that's that's, that's what I'm trying to figure out <laughs> is 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 like I don't know like I really do feel like I should get comfortable with get back in touch with the root just the rudiments and kind of get my hands worked out because I feel like I I get a lot of compliments on my snare drum sound for whatever reason I don't know if it's the way I hit it or whatever but like coincidentally i feel like my hand my left hand is just in the worst shape it's ever been <laughs> like just you know uh i just kind of feel like i should i should get take get back in touch with the technique side of things and then we can start talking about you know concepts and uh that's just you have to just spend time you know and that's the same thing zoltan toback is one of my best friends uh fantastic drummer but he i was over at his house a couple of weeks ago and he just he grabbed this practice pad and was like here you go i'm like What's this for? He goes, just take it home. You don't have a, pra- I don't have a practice pad at home. And he's like, just, you need one. I'm tired of hearing you talk about not having a damn practice pad. <laughs> yeah, just take, and I probably should be spending a little more time on that. But then, and then here we go, we're way rewinding even more. Like, I'm not a good read. I'm not the best reader. So like, maybe I ought to t- <laughs> get somebody to walk me through and just start, you know, the basics of, I mean, I can write out a girl, like when I write charts, I can write out like basic, the money beats, if it, as, as it were, right, right. uh, but like, there's still some things where like, if someone's reading my chart, I'm like, I don't know if that's the right or not, <laughs> if that groove's written out correctly or not. Yeah. Uh, maybe I need to start there and then work on the hands and then work on coming up, you know, with getting outside of my comfort zone musically, you know. So a couple things, uh, the listeners hearing this and they're going, "Wow, I can't read. I don't have chops." Uh, but he's done these gigs. <laughs> So, I mean, there's a, there's a history of listening to music, 
just understanding the understanding the history, uh, seeking out certain drummers that move you. Those are all important elements, and, and sometimes I think we have many of us and come from the other direction, you know, pure DCI, and yet not knowing. Right, and I and I envy those guys. I am so jealous of those guys. For I think everybody could take a little bit of a, a page from, from each other, try and find this well-rounded, you know, uh, because you know that some of these players that we admire so much that feel like they, they're very reserved have so much under the hood that, you know, I don't know if people knew all the things that Shannon Forrest could do. They saw Toto live, and they're like, whoa. Here. But let me ask you, what is one of the most common compliments that what's a, what's a compliment about your playing that you've heard repeatedly? I know you mentioned the snare sound, but beyond maybe. Yeah, I I think people just uh, I think people like that that when I come in. And this is even on a Broadway game, like the Matt Gray band guys have said, have just said multiple times, like, man, you just like, when you sit down, like, even if you don't know a song, you just, I mean, you're just driving it. Mm-hmm. You're just driving the shit. I mean, you just play with such confidence. Like, dude, I, Aaron Cunningham, my high school band director, he'll probably never hear this, but uh, I hate I hated being in band when I was in school. I, just, I didn't like it. I was just doing it because I was still planning on going to college at the time. And, I was like, oh, I need to do this. It'll look, you know, it'll look good on my whatever. If I stay in band. I was, we were in the, it wasn't marching band. It was in the the regular high school band. And one day, I don't know, we were working on something and I don't know if we were sight reading or not, but he was working with like the, the winds and he was, I was playing the, the concert snare drum and I was just really struggling with whatever this part was. They're struggling to read it or whatever. And I just remember him saying, Jake, come on. Uh, loud mistakes better than soft perfection. Just play, just give me something. Just play something. <laughs> so it's like, and I don't mean obviously this, <laughs> right. but you know, any mistake is better than whatever. But uh, I just think people like that. I come in and I sit down and I play with. I just play with. You, know, you got to play with confidence. You know, yeah. play, and that doesn't mean when you're playing in a tiny little bar playing through the drum like you're playing in a stadium you got to still play to the room but i mean just i mean just you got to let the note the most important thing in addition to making the band sound good is making the person that you're the the band and the artist comfortable yes because they're they've got their back they can't see you (laughs) they've got their back to you you have to make them they shouldn't be worried about what you're doing or worried about Oh, are they going to do this? Are they going to? Are we going to do that? Like they need to be so in the zone, so comfortable doing their thing. Mm-hmm. And I think people, I think people like when you just come in and you're like, I got play, you. Play, you know. Like I said, even if you don't, if you never played the song before, it's still whatever that groove is, man. Just kick it in, lay it back, and yeah, just because the person has to play the song, and they have to worry about. Always, uh, you know, I can't really hear you. You're not playing loud enough. You know, it, 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 they have to perform. They have to interact. Absolutely, with the it's the, yeah, they they, that's to, the thing is they, they have to front the show. Like yeah. they have to worry about, you know, interact, keeping the crowd engaged. They they have a full plate on their own. Mm-hmm. They shouldn't be worried about, oh, well, what are my what are my band guys doing, or is he going to 
What's this sound like? Let's you got to mm-hmm. just make everybody comfortable. Come in and play with my confidence when I sit down. Is, is I feel like I get that a lot. You know. Yeah. Which I, I really which I, I I'm I like that compliment. I think it's a good. You know, you should. I think you should strive for that. You right. know. Um. Over. You know. Over. You know. Perfect execution of a part every time. I mean, whatever. Like just. Yeah. Just got to make everybody feel and sound good. You know? Right, right. No, I think it is really important. Uh, people just, they want to feel like they're taken care of and they can concentrate on playing. Absolutely. They don't have to worry about you. Of course, absolutely. And if you don't know the exact part or the exact fill or whatever, right. it's not going to take away from the performance. No. The audience isn't going to know. No, don't. It's, and it's saying it's hard not to get caught up in that. Uh, although, yeah, going back to what you said before, like, what about this journey song? Like, can we learn the right part? Yeah, I think there's a time and place. Learn. These, which I geek out on that. So I love little signature parts mm-hmm. of song. Like I've been on a big Fleetwood Mac kick lately, dude. Mick Fleetwood is <laughs> such an overlook. I feel like when I was a kid, I was just like, dude, what did Mick Fleetwood like? What, what the hell? dude? Now that he's a he is funky, dude. Like, what a cool player. But on a song like Dreams by Fleetwood Mac, like there's this little like yeah, you're playing Captain Captain, but like there's these little. Little like Tom, like little Tom accents. Like I just, I love those. I just consider those like things like that signature parts of these songs. And I think it's, mm-hmm. I want to do as much as I can to honor those, to honor that as possible. You know, I, I'm very obsessed with recreating parts. Me too. Or the, the main reason is I don't have to worry about what to create on stage. So that's kind of a lazy thing from a from a mindset. I, I'm the same way, and I think it's it's one thing to create in the studio, which I'm not. I haven't done a ton of session work since I've been here, but like I feel like you have a little bit more time to do that. Like on stage, it's live. Like you've only got one chance. <laughs> Well, and in the studio, sometimes you don't have a lot of time. But 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 here's my hope, and I had this discussion with Mark Selby as well. And we were talking about Chad Cromwell. I said I I I have to apologize. I'm like learning every single thing that Chad is doing on this record. And he goes, "No, that's a great place to start. I mean, Chad is a very successful session player, and he has created these parts and come up with the right part for Mm -hmm. my song. But by you imitating what he's doing." It will eventually become your way of playing. It will be your unique way, no matter how much you come close to what he's playing. It's still going to sound like you, absolutely. And maybe there's going to be something about his playing that seeps into you, of course. And I and and there are things that I do that I'm like, okay, this isn't as good, but I did steal this idea. And this is a this is the 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 Matt Krause filtered down version of this Matt Chamberlain thing, right? Or this Chad Cromwell thing. Of course. You know. Yeah, that's what you, you have to... And that's... I feel like today, if you're playing with an... And especially in Nashville, if you're playing with an artist, generally, you're expected to play the to play the record. Mm-hmm. You know, play the parts that are on the thing. But then, just like you said, after... I had done so much of that. I played with Chase Bryant for two and a half years. And mm-hmm. I really... That was like the first gig I had been on long enough to... Nick Buda played on most of his stuff. Chris McHugh played on some of his newer stuff. But, I mean, I learned... There's some cool parts that you should... Everyone should listen to Nick Buda's playing on Chase Bryant's EP. But I learned those songs back to front. And then, I mean, it wasn't... I mean, I played with him for... 
I mean, over a year, I mean, year, over a year before I was like finally found myself, you know, throwing some of my little ideas in here. You know, it just takes time. You, got, I feel like you should do your best to uh, to play the parts like they are. There's a reason why they took that take. Yeah, on the on the record. You know right. what I mean? Or stitch those takes together. Or, yeah, well, or whatever. <laughs> there's, a, there's a reason why this has this been crafted exactly. in this way. Exactly. Play it like that as much, as well as you can, and then when you've made that feel as good as possible, then you know, you know, you, you just and well, it's just like you said, you don't, it's not even really a conscious thing. You just start to put the part, just kind of starts to become your mm-hmm. you. You know what I mean? Because you can't. We can sit here and emulate Chad Cromwell or whoever the, all these guys all we want, but we're still going to be we're still going to play like us. Yes. You know what I mean? These, and, and, and no one else is going to do that. No one else is going to play like you. Right, right. This, uh, I think that's why it's so important to listen to as much different styles of music and as many different players as possible. Is mm-hmm. You can learn something from everybody. I mean, even people who might not be as skilled as you. Like, you, you can, there's, something to, there's something to learn from everybody. Yeah. Anytime, if you're on a, if you, next time you're playing a festival, or whatever, playing for, and you're playing. There's a, five other drummers on stage, man. Try to watch every one of them, because you never know what you're gonna learn. Oh yeah, you know, there's always it's, it's such it's something to take from everyone. Absolutely. Can you tell? Can you, in a nutshell, explain to people how you went from moving to Nashville with no gigs to staying busy as busy as you are? Well, when I, when I moved here, I don't even think I sat behind a set of drums for like eight or nine months. Uh, mainly, I mean, mainly because one, I didn't really know anybody. I mean, I knew people, but not well enough to pick up the phone. And I was eighteen years old, so I'm still socially awkward. But imagine it then. Uh, <laughs> I wasn't about to pick up the phone and call a stranger, you know. Yeah. Um. I like I said I, I worked at Guitar Center. I had I had a day gig, and then. Uh, I think I answered a couple Craigslist ads and then one actually turned out to be, so there's people in Nashville will know, but there's, there's two bars in Midtown called losers and winners. And it used to just be losers. And in 2010, the same people opened to winners right next door. And I was actually in the first ever house band there on the weekends. And I think the gig lasted for like a month. It didn't last very long, but that, that just came from answering a Craigslist ad cold calling this guy. And, uh, you know, we hit it off, and it, it was it was it was some work for a little while, and then I had uh, around the same time the Jim Riley connection happened on MySpace. I had gotten connected with Rich Redman, mm-hmm. who everybody knows, and uh, he actually he actually reached out to me. I, I think I just I saw his photo, and it had the Jason Aldean kick drum head, and the and I said, I just sent him a friend request, and he sent me a message, and was just like, "Oh man, I love the way you set up your kit." At the time, I had like two china symbols up it looked like kenny Aronoff, you know from mm-hmm. the melon camp days but he was just like man here's my number call me anytime i'm like what <laughs> like who's this guy you know and so i just kind of stayed in touch with him and he he may have heard like a recording of me playing with his wedding band that i played with in lexington maybe but he'd never really heard me play but he just took a chance some guy that he had worked this assistant engineer on a session he did one time was an aspiring like rock singer and he asked rich hey who are some young drummers i'm looking i need a drummer yeah and 
he had never, I don't even know if he had heard me play or not. He just like, hey, this kid just moved to town. Why don't you call him? And he called me, and ironically, this guy, the singer, Josh Adams was his name. He lived in the same apartment complex that I used to live to. Actually, not far from here, from okay. McMur- uh, McMurray. Uh, and I did that. That was my first road gig ever was with the Josh Adams band. It was the rock the unsigned rock thing. And actually the, the, the band of musicians from that band are some of my oldest friends. I'm still in contact with them. Great, great players. But I just did that for a little while. And then I just kind of, that was like my main thing for about a year. And then this bass player who I had met through, uh, we were actually, interested in the same girl ironically <laughs> and <laughs> this girl is, was a bass player and she was in this cool three-piece band and i went to one of her shows and then i met this guy named isaac riston in a parking lot and come to find out they were dating and i was like who is this i was yeah. and i was pissed but kind of this initial meeting we hit it off immediately and like got each other's number and then like a year later this is like 2011 i get this phone call and I, I couldn't answer it. And I, he left a message he's like, hey, Jake, this is Isaac Riston. You probably don't even remember me. We we know each other through Charlie Cook, like blah, blah, blah. You want to go to Japan for a month and play? And I'm like, hell yeah, dude, I want to go uh, yeah. over there. So this was like this for this like American Idol. It wasn't actually American Idol. They weren't actually weren't. They got in trouble for using the name American Idol. Oh, I think. Wow. But it was we did one of them played for the troops. So the troops were gone. It was for the families. It was very cool. Uh, I guess they had had some trouble getting some family oriented entertainment over uh-huh. there. And we went over there and did about ten or eleven shows, just doing the the variety, like the American Idol style. Okay, you know, it was all covers. Very, you know, like there was, there was four female singers, four male singers, and. Did they? And when I came back from that, I was when I kind of stepped away from the Josh Adams thing, and I was, I had left Guitar Center at this point, so I was just. This is when music had become a full time thing. Mm-hmm. Man, from there, I just started. Uh, Isaac, he became. He's my best friend today. He's, mm. we're still close. Incredible bass player, good God! I mean, I hate that he's not playing with anybody right now, but uh, I did some stuff, just random stuff with him, with like some songwriter people, and then Josh Adams moved away and the band guys from that started playing they knew the guy that was booking at paradise park mm-hmm. on broadway rest in peace by the way they're closing the door the doors That's next week i ever heard that end of an era man a lot of a lot of good times has been in there we were just started doing <laughs> classic rock covers and which was my bag at the time i was doing a yeah. bunch of that and uh we just uh, we at the one point we were playing like four nights a week down there, and then that's just when I kind of started meeting people down there and got yeah, connected in that yeah, scene. Yeah. And then I I met Brandon Holder, who I play with about four nights a week now. Right. Through he actually lived. We didn't know each other at the time, but he lived in Lexington, my hometown, and was playing at the church my dad works at. Wow. And was kind of coming down here and playing like. I think he had like one, it wasn't even a regular thing. He would just come down and play at Legends or Second Fiddle every now and then. And my dad called me. and was like, hey, a buddy of mine, Brandon's playing down there. You should go check him out. And so I went and checked him out. And I didn't talk to him, but I was like, oh, yeah, he's this, this is some head. This is good. You know, it's, it's something, it was country, which I had not been doing much of at the time. Mm-hmm. And then a couple months later, I was playing with this group at the, ten, we were doing the Tin Roof Circuit. Yeah, sure. Uh, and we were playing in Lexington, ironically. And we were doing this thing beforehand, before the Tin Roof gig at 
the University of Kentucky, this like private thing. And in walks Brandon Holder to play with the girl that was opening with us. And I said, hey, you're Brandon Holder. And then we just hit it off immediately. Yeah. And uh, later he started picking up more gigs and more regular stuff and was commuting back and forth from Lexington, three and a half hour drive. Wow. Multiple times a week. And playing out in town. And Will Easterwood, who's been on the podcast, uh-huh. a good friend of mine, the bear, the circus bear. Circus bear. Uh, Bear Force One, he's a pilot now, uh, was uh, playing with him downtown a lot, a lot of the time. And we all started, he started getting busy doing some other things. And Brandon just caught, he called me to play some gigs with him. And that's, Broadway had kind of become my full-time thing at that time. Right, right. And uh, and then I think it was, I mentioned my ex-girlfriend was a singer and I was playing with her at the time. And Kevin Murphy actually produced her EP. Oh, okay. And they were having a meeting one day, and I guess there was like a lull in the conversation. And she was like, "Oh, by the way, my boyfriend is—he's really trying to break into like to do some touring work." Mm-hmm. And jo- and Kevin had played with Josh Grayson mm-hmm. back in the day, and he was like, "Yes," and he had just recently produced a record for Josh as well. And he was like, "Yes, uh, this guy used to play for Josh Grayson's looking for a drummer. I'll I'll put his name in the head." And so I went and auditioned for that and got that gig and. That was like my first like on a bus, like bus gig, you mm-hmm. know, real touring experience. And man, talk about, lear- talk about learning a lot. I mean, I was, and I was still, I mean, I was a kid. I'm still a kid. I mean, I'm, I feel, I say that I'm, a, I, I I've been doing this so long. I don't feel like a kid anymore. I'm still young, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I was, I was 22 at the time. Yeah. And I was just kind of thrown into this crazy touring world, <laughs> touring world. And man, I could, I learned so much from the guys that, you know, everybody was a little bit older than me, you know, in their 30s at the time and had been doing it for a long time. And man, I learned so much from those guys. And I was able to pull, uh, you know, another young, Larry Kraft is a great, fabulous bass player. Um, he was also a young, you know, he's just a couple years older than me. Pulled in on him on the gig and and it was great to have, it was great to have someone else in the trenches with me, you know, learning right. and did like, and looked out, Larry's doing great. He's playing with, he's played with a bunch of guys. He's playing with Levin Theft now, but, um, I did that for a little while. And then that kind of, I just, that kind of ended. It, we weren't very busy and I just, I left, I stepped away from that. And, uh, I just started getting calls to fill in with like, I filled in for Tucker when Tucker Wilson, when he had his son, August, um, with Josh Thompson. Mm-hmm. And uh, later on, when Tucker left that gig, they called me yeah. to fill in, and uh, it was the, and I've and I've I've subbed for so many people. I can't even remember who the, all these people, but like, and then it was the same story with Chase Bryan. I filled in for his drummer. They were on the Brantley Gilbert tour, mm-hmm. doing the opening slot, and uh, you know, it's you come in and you do I mean, you do a good job, and then down the road, whenever they if they make a change or if so and so leaves. Yeah. They'll, re- they'll, re- they'll remember, you right, know. Right. They'll remember you doing a good job and coming in and 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 that con- they'll remember that confidence, you know. I was gonna say preparedness, confidence. I think it was. Just, I. Just, I mean, you obviously you always want you always try to come in as prepared as possible and it's, uh, don't be daunted by playing with new people or playing in the crowd yeah. size. You know, it's. If you're a sub on a situation like that, yeah, they're, just, they're probably like they're on edge already. Obviously, yeah, they're they're, they're a little on edge just because it's a new person coming in. But you just and there it is again. Just you got to just do everything you can to make everybody comfortable and yeah, and you know just be <laughs> ABC always be cool. <laughs> you know that's what my what my dad would say. Um, yeah. 
I mean, yeah, it's just you just come in, show up on time, should know the material. Don't and give them anything to worry about. Exactly. Don't, yeah, don't give them anything to worry about. And I'm very, the phone's still ringing. I'm very blessed. A friend of mine recently got let go from a gig, and he's t- told me that he's considered, you know, just hanging it up and doing something else. And I'm just like, man, you gotta, I've been through so many seasons <laughs> like you're in right now. Mm-hmm. It's just kind of, you just have to, well, you just have to decide how bad do you want to do this? Mm-hmm. You know, it's, I feel like I'm in a good place with my, I'm making a good living. I have a home that I like. I drive a car that I like to drive, you know, but there's still times where I'm just like, what the fuck am I still doing this for? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. That I don't feel, I, think they, I don't think that ever goes away. I think you're still going to have those days, no, but you just kind of have to decide, you know, would you, I'm playing music for a living. It's as my dad would say, it beats pouring concrete. Right. You know, it's at the end of the day, I still get to make music and get paid for it. Sometimes it won't be, sometimes it's not very much, but I think though still, you bring yeah. up a good point. I mean, sometimes there are seasons of our Absolutely. life. Absolutely. You, you just can't career. get, there's going to be, as Rich Redman said it so many times, there's going to be some Hagen dazs nights. Uh, <laughs> you just can't get discouraged. I mean, I've, no. it's easy and it's easy to get discouraged. You just have to remember like, I think your scene has a, depending on where you live, has a season as well. Oh, absolutely. That's, well, I mean, I think it's why it's important to, you got to go where the work is, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. um, that's what, that's one thing I would say for people who are interested in maybe serious about doing this for a living is correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the most important step you can take to being a working music drummer musician for a living is relocating. You know, it doesn't have to be Nashville, but I feel like Nashville's kind of like the last frontier. I mean, we're taking all comers at this point. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. people are people are coming here for non-music things, know. you know. Yeah. Find the scene you want to be in and politely and persistently insert yourself into no i mean my co-host zach albetta his wife got a great opportunity to work in atlanta Mm -hmm. and they moved from la to atlanta and he wasn't sure about yeah but he has found his people absolutely his scene Mm -hmm. and i think he would i think he would thrive in nashville as well but Mm -hmm. i i just i think that personality and his playing wise i think he's really found something that works for him. So that's great. You know, I think it's important to be happy with what you with oh, what ab- doing, but let me ask you just to kind of, to, to wrap up a little bit, where do you see yourself in five or 10 years? Where would you like to see yourself in that time? I'd like to do, have you had time to think about it? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's hard to think. It is hard. That's one thing about doing this. It's hard to look that far into the, I mean, I can barely make plans with my family for months and <laughs> a couple months in advance, much less look that far in the future. But I mean, I'd like to, and I don't want to say I haven't like shied away from doing session work. I just don't, it's not one or the other now. You don't, mm-hmm. There are touring guys doing session work during the week, but I'm just not really a part of that scene. I haven't, and I haven't really done a lot of work to become a part of that scene. I'd like to get a little more connected there. And there's friends of mine who have, are putting more sessions together and doing stuff. I actually, I just got called, a friend of mine called me last minute to do a session on this past Friday night and I was out, I was on the road with Phil. I was like, man, I wish I could come do it, but I know I need to do more just to kind of get, I'm not in my element in the studio. I haven't done it enough to, mm-hmm. there's sure, something it's like anything else. So you, you do it and you build upon that experience. Exactly. I'd like to do a little yeah. more of that. And, and I know, and a, a part of the problem is like I said, I've lived in an apartment forever. And so, so many guys have their own spaces now. Yeah. to do drum tracks. And I just don't have the space 
or the of the money for that matter. I mean, that's you know, recording gear is not cheap, and it's not. But but the ability to to record is becoming more accessible, absolutely and affordable than it was. Of course, it, yeah, yeah. it is, and I th- and I do, and I do think that's one thing I would pre- impress upon. And I've not done a good job of this because, <laughs> you know, if I. When I'm, I just recently moved a couple months ago. If I really wanted to, I mean, I could have probably got a house and started investing in that type of thing. I think drummers should in, think about investing in recording gear. Kurt Biscara has been saying it for years since before since studios were still thriving. Like mm-hmm. he's been saying, buy a comp- get a computer, get a get into microphones. Yeah. Get into you know interfaces, whatever uh, pre whatever. I, I don't know the lingo, before. but I mean you know I mean it's like you can get you can use free software. You can use yeah. the software that comes with your computer. Get some sort of cheap interface off eBay and buy you know five uh, SM fifty sevens. Yeah, it doesn't take like a, that's the greatest microphone ever made. Like it doesn't take you don't have to buy you don't have to have an RE twenty for the snare <laughs> you know just get some, get some stuff and acquaint yourself and that's one thing I'm not very good at is technology things I mean it's I feel like every time I get on a gig that has a different Ableton setup I have to get I have to call Kyle Wilkerson and have him come over and <laughs> re teach me how to go, how to run yeah. everything but uh, I'm not one of those guys who can just sit down and like sit down with a software or something and just learn I'm not a tinkerer I can't mm-hmm. just oh it'll go through Pro Tools whatever just pick out and learn how to use it you know. But I think that when you have people in in your court that that help you with those things, those that helps kind of keep the ball moving. I For mean, sure. I, we have my buddy Mike Jackson that helps mm-hmm. us with the technical aspects Absolutely. of this podcast that elude me. But it's like I have that in place so that I can reach this goal just in this. For the podcast. Oh, yeah, alone, for sure. You know, so when it comes to recording, you know, you've got your tech gurus and your buddies that you have to uh, learn how to, you know, partition their time a little bit here and there. So, they're not yeah, and, and, I, and I think it's one thing about this the younger generation that is cool is I feel like kids are kids. There it is again. Yeah. Uh, like, but like people like that come out of like Belmont, like there's some happening, like Kip Allen. I mean, mm-hmm. there's a lot of great and like Jeff Malone, he's playing with Chase now. Like a lot of great players, but they are they're coming out of the womb, metaphorically, already technologically savvy. Yeah. Like they're they can hang on in any recording or you know live tracks situation. It's not like where there was a. I mean, there was a learning curve for, for me, and I'm sure even guys older than me who grew up just playing in rock, you know, in a but, but, rock but band setting. But I'll say as, as, as your senior, uh, yeah. <laughs> I will say that there is something that when you get called to do a gig like Phil's gig, and there isn't a lot of, uh, you know, set electronic element mm-hmm. to it, but there's a rock and roll. Yeah. You're ready to, to but, go. Yeah, that's, that's, a that's a skill set too. It is. A, yeah. It's being able to play with a band without... You know, yes, it's it, it's essential. To, everyone needs to know how to play with a click or a loop or whatever. Mm-hmm. But like, I feel like I'll, it's easy to fall into the trap of, you know, you got to have the click on everything. Like I have, I carry a, I have a rhythm watch with me when I play on Broadway, and every now and then on some of this newer, you know, more backbeat kind of you know stuff. If I know the tempo, I'll put it on. Just yeah, I noticed your website. Is a few years. Yeah, it's yeah. That's don't go to jakegammon.com. It, it's just <laughs> don't go to J A K. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I can't decide if I should update that or just have it just take it down. <laughs> but uh, 
I do like being able to tell people my email is Jake at Jake. <laughs> uh, but uh, do you feel like you have to, as we're kind of like coming to close here, do you feel like there's things that you have to do to kind of maintain a, a presence online? I mean, it is aside from I posting. hate social media, but I mean, it is it's kind of a necessary evil now. And what's what's the main platform that you find yourself using the most? I like Instagram. Yeah, a lot. I mean, it's you're not just saying words. You know what I mean? Like, like on you know, you're not just posting a status or whatever on Facebook. Like, there's a photo there. There's some content, if you will, to, yeah. that can promote some sort of dialogue. You know, in most cases, you know. But yeah, Instagram's probably the best. Well, man, again, I I appreciate you taking the time, such last minute, dude. To do this. It's I'm spellbound to be asked to be. Yeah, <laughs> such a yeah. the company is such man. Podcast I, alum, we had some killer guys on here, man. It's like, been it's it's it's, it's, it's uh, just an honor to be in the same uh, stream, if you will, <laughs> as those cats. There, there's uh, there's a there's a lot of people that are really curious about how Nashville has changed, and I feel like you're kind of at this place, and you're you're finding your way with with what you grew up listening to, and 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 reaching those goals, you know, mm-hmm. working with people like Phil, but also as the landscape has changed in town and on the road, kind of dialed into to to what's happening, man, and it's and it's going to be it's. it's really helpful to a lot of people no, sure, i mean I, I hope so i hope yeah uh, yeah it's definitely an interesting time yeah man in this town it's uh <laughs> to say the least yeah that's i mean I, just, I don't really know what else to say it's just <laughs> it's a it's changing every and every faster and faster every day it's yeah. changing you know well man you're a great player oh and you deserve all the work you're getting in and it's it's I'm i have really high praise you as well uh take the time to do this man i appreciate it that's anytime brother i appreciate you having me awesome Glad to be here. Thank you, Matt. Thanks to Jake for taking the time to sit down and talk with me. We've crossed paths many times. It's one of those things where you see him and you're like, hey, I know that guy, but I don't know if I know his name, but I see him all around town and we have many mutual friends. So again, uh, I love that the podcast gives me an excuse to sit down and meet these people that I don't know as well and uh, get inside their heads a little bit. Uh, Jake and I have been splitting the gig with uh, Matt Gray Band, which is a wonderful group of guys, and uh, they just speak highly of Jake, very much so. And uh, so that was uh, that was a great incentive for me to sit down and speak with him. Stay tuned next week for Zach Albetta's interview. Many thanks to Mike Jackson for his technical assistance. As I mentioned before, there are many ways that you can donate through the Patreon page that we have, patreon.com slash workingdrummer, or the PayPal button that we have on our website, workingdrummer.net. Keep in touch with us, y'all. We've got some exciting things going on in the works for the rest of the year, including some exciting new roundtables covering some different subjects. And we're also going to be covering Arjuna Contreras, or RJ, as he makes the transition from Texas to Nashville. And that is going to be over the course of the 12 months that he makes that transition. We're excited about that project. But as for now, we thank you all so much for listening, and I hope to see you around. Bye-bye.